Adventure Time debuts, wrestling goes to movie theaters, Ernest becomes a comedic legend, and Christopher Walken needs more cowbell. This week on 3010. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you three whole decades of movies, TV, music, video games, and more. We're opening up three little portals to this week, April 3rd through the 9th, in three different decades to see how many anniversaries we get to celebrate in a single week. We're talking about April 3rd through the 9th. I am one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Diana Goodman, and the owls are not what they seem. <laughs> mm, it's me, Sarah, and I have a fever, and it's not COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope that clip doesn't come, become any less funny now. Uh, I, I know I'll talk <laughs> oh, a lot shit. less about Ninja Turtles this week, and I do apologize, people, but that movie rules. It's, it's one of the few times I watched a little bit for 302010 and went upstairs and watched it again. That, mm, that is a better kids' movie than deserves to exist, and I feel sort of similar sort towards some of the stuff in this week. A lot of really exciting stuff for me personally. I do want to say this show is brought to you primarily by patreon.com slash laser time, and through that we are executive produced by one Evan Clark. Thank you, Evan, so much. Uh, he's one of the people where as low as five bucks you can support the entire Laser Time Network, get a bunch of freebies in return. This week we started our brand new Sick of Star Wars series where we talk about uh, Star Wars through the ages, uh, the saga. I think I hate it. My friend thinks I doesn't. I don't. We're working it out. <laughs> That's why it's Sick of Star Wars question mark. He's still in. I'm pissed. Uh, and we also have for 302010 fans a deeper look at the video games of March. Coming out this week uh, with Video Game Apocalypse, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez, and Maddie Allen from Video Game Apocalypse every Friday. Laser time this week. We got a bunch of stuff for you. You guys joined, both of you joined us for um, an episode about what's your favorite movie made before you were born? I wish there was a, like an actual word for that. Is, is, is there some just mm. one word that describes a thing made before you're born? That it would be predates really, me. Yeah. That would be an interesting prenatal movies. Would, <laughs> prenatal yeah. movies that that could get us flagged <laughs> by the wrong people, but yeah, <laughs> we, it's something that was sort of inspired by a conversation we had last week on this show. So these shows sometimes feed into one another. Again, we appreciate your support, especially during these difficult times. If you can spare it, Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. Over 100 movie commentaries. I'm done plugging because I want to talk about one of my favorite comedies of the entire 90s. Um, hi, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, Keep on keeping on. So, yes, if you don't know what 302010 does, we go through three decades, and that decade, those decades from where we sit now are 1990, 2000, and 2010. 30, 20, and 10 years ago from right now. Right now, also being April 3rd through the 9th, and I, uh, I am seeing... No, I, I missed this last month, and I just wanted to say it. New Coke has been rebranded as Coke 2 because of how upset people were. <laughs> oh. That had wow. happened almost uh, 30 years ago today. Meanwhile, uh, the Coke everyone hated sells out when Coke puts it up on a Stranger Things partnership on their website 30 years later. Weird. Nostalgia <sighs> New Coke is weird. Just is, it's just Pepsi, everybody. <laughs> if you want that, just get Pepsi. Yeah, and, and uh, like moving, so moving into the movies of 1990, 
as it should be, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is number one, defying everyone's predictions. And uh, it's still number one at the box office. And we, But the new movies this week are almost as interesting, IMO. Catch Fire, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Backtrack, a movie starring Jodie Foster, Dennis Hopper, Fred Ward, Vincent Price, and Joe Pesci. I cannot imagine wow. all these people in the same room. That is a lineup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is known... When it's known as Catch Fire, it is directed by Alan Smithy. Ooh. When it is known as Backtrack, which is the director's version, it is directed by Dennis Hopper. And no. it is sort of uh, like a ladies on the run from the mob kind of movie, like Jodie Foster witnesses uh, contract killing, and then all these different mobsters go after him, including uh, Tony Sirico from The Sopranos and John Turturro, uh, Dean Stockwell. Uh, all kinds of people are in it. And apparently Jodie Foster fucking hated it, fucking hated working with Dean Stockwell, or not Dean Stockwell. Uh, hate hate working with Dennis Hopper so much that it's like no one will speak of this you know and it's one of those things that made her want to go like I'm gonna direct my own movie because I'm sick of being bossed around by assholes and I don't remember where was Dennis Hopper in his asshole period at this point he is not the coked up guy we see is this any good no no (laughs) other abuser is not good I mean yeah Dennis Hopper's in a weird spot in that we're post Blue Velvet, so we've remembered, oh, shit, that guy can act like crazy. Mm-hmm. But the last movie we had with him was Flashback. Remember Hippie Midnight Run? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's still he's just all over the place still at this point. No one's figured out what to do with him. I don't know if he's clean yet. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a hard guy to deal with. And I just imagine, because Jodie Foster is kind of a bona fide star at this point, I imagine they had lots of trouble. Dennis Hopper being one of the most problematic people to be on a set with, whereas Jodie Foster is like the opposite. We're like, yeah, fuck you if you're not professional. I'm not going to mm-hmm. come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also out this week, the first power with LDP, Lou Diamond Phillips, Jeff Cobra, and, uh, oh, McKilty Williamson. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Bubba Gump. Bubba, just yep, Bubba. Bubba Gump. Uh, ah. The first power, we have a little TV spot for you. The perfect killer is out there. He has the first power, immortality. Oh, no. He could be anyone, anywhere. New Diamond Phillips, the first power. Rated R. Starts Friday. Starts Friday. Uh, man, wow. I have never heard um, of this. This seems ridiculous. Oh, it's pretty bad. It's about a, a satanic serial killer that Lou Diamond Phillips is the cop trying to stop and it turns out like oh he's gained there's like eight or nine powers or six powers or whatever it is but he's gained the first one which is he can come back from the dead as anyone because it's not not the first it's not the last time we're going to talk about people being able to resurrect people on this show it's weird but this is oh it's so trashy (laughs) but i love anything with yeah satanic panic it is like he carved pentagrams into all his victims oh my god shut up (laughs) <laughs> but not 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 as man. There's even better trashy this this very week. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Not yeah, necessarily this movie, but like I I was subjected to this a lot. It was like the most star-studded movie that Comedy Central aired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> given that it had Keanu Reeves, William Hurt, River Phoenix, Joe Plowright, Tracy Ullman, and Kevin Kline, I watched it a bunch, and I I never loved it, but I do appreciate mm-hmm. it. And that would be yeah. Lawrence Kasdan's "I Love You to Death." Rosalie Boca is a scorned woman. Divorce and no, never. Dead first. Good. He deserves to die. And Joey Boca's days are numbered. Why didn't you tell me you were going to blow up the car? Well, I thought it would be a nice surprise for you. But Rosalie isn't taking any chances. Did you shoot him or not? I think so. How are you feeling, Joey? And has enlisted the help of her mother, her closest friend, and two complete strangers. You hired drug addicts? 
What did you expect me to hire? The Red Cross? That seemed like very polite point. To make sure the job's done right. <laughs> okay, so it's... How would you describe this movie? Uh, uh, a philandering Kevin Klein in full fish con called wa- Wanda mode, and his wife wants to murder him. And mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Red- Tracy Ullman is pissed off because if she divorces him, he gets to fuck whoever he wants. Mm-hmm. So she's going to murder him. I and love this movie. It keeps not working out. And yeah, her mom, Joan Plowright, is trying to help out. And then uh, William Hurt and Keanu Reeves is like stoner hitmen sort of it, it guy is, it is, they show up it is the one of the most peak keanu roles you can ever <laughs> you can ever see he, yeah he stopped it's playing this character yeah but in just the bizarre nature of river phoenix really wanting to fuck tracy ullman that, yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. a strange 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 movie and it's just it's like so weird and but i love it i find it to be immensely charming and everybody's doing like except for tracy ullman Everyone else is doing a character, mm. but and like doing it to the hilt, basically. Yeah. I don't know. I just find it to be crazy charming, not super like laugh out loud funny. Although there are moments there for it, but um, just just really, really uh, just a fun little comedy. Yeah, I think my my problem with it is that it 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 looks it's not marketed as really dark as you heard from the com- the, the commercial there with little hollow notes in the background but it <laughs> but it's it's like if disney made a dark pg comedy it's it's just not dark mm. enough and and the subject matter yeah. is admittedly dark it's it's based on a woman who repeatedly tried to kill her husband in real life and only right. eventually got caught yeah yeah i i feel like like there is a lot that's good about it mm-hmm. and i feel like there's there's a way where this like could have worked i don't know if so if maybe all the actors had to tone it down a little bit, mm. mostly I feel like if Kevin Klein toned it down because he's doing like a silly Italian accent, <laughs> and I feel like if he were the straight man to all this lunacy, it it might sell it a little better for me. It's super mm. odd that, it's that like, the straight person is is Tracy Ullman. Great. Yeah, it's the, like it's not great, but it's another one. It's like, well, I'm not sure I wasted my time watching this. Yeah, right. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I I like the idea that Tracy Ullman's the only person not doing an over-the-top character because it kind of subverts <laughs> our expectations of her as an actor that we know. Mm-hmm. And then also it makes it seem even more incongruous that she is just this unassuming, kind, you know, supportive wife and then finds out that her husband's a philanderer and is just like, oh, now I have to kill him. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just going to kill him now. It's not like, oh, God, what am I going to do? It's not, oh, the movie we just talked about with Roseanne. Uh, she Devil. Uh, she Devil. It's not She Devil, exactly. It's, wow, those are very similar. Yeah, mm. similar kind of story, but very different feel. Both great, though. I really I really like it. Right, I, I would and absolutely it, recommend you can people can watch this. It is, there's a lot of fun in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just when William Hurt, I was not expecting William Hurt and Keanu Reeves in those roles. <laughs> and when the, you see them come on screen, you're like, wait a minute. Is that <laughs> them? Because, wow. I mean, Keanu Reeves is playing to his Keanu Reeves type for sure, but just so over the top. And William Hurt is just, he's great too. I don't know. I mm-hmm. really, really like it. And River Phoenix is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's not his last role, but it's one of his last roles. Hmm. And and man, I don't know this. I don't know how to feel about this movie. This is this next movie was my inadvertent introduction to John Waters, and I just remember not a bad place to start, I, dude. It was like an accident. I was like, it's like I'm ten and I'm seeing this in the '90s, and it's <laughs> it's it's John Waters, kind of his his studio big studio debut. He he sort of 
New Line Cinema, if you listen to Elm Street Nightmare on patreon.com slash laser time, is a, a studio sort of made by Freddy Krueger, but forged by distributing John Waters movies, especially Pink Flamingos. And mm. now the word is out. People know who he is, want to work with him, and Universal wants to make a movie with him. It seems pretty crazy in hindsight if you know what John Waters does, but it is the most presentable John Waters movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, his last movie was Hairspray, which yeah. ended up being a pretty big crossover hit. It's a lot yeah. of fun. And so it's like he's going to keep going with these sort of retro milieu, mm-hmm. as it were, you know, just diving into juvenile delinquency movies and like old rock and roll movies of like the mid late fifties. I feel like as in, ah, in, in the eighties into the early nineties, I witnessed so many chicken fights in a car on television. <laughs> and I, true. I have that not was seen, a big thing. I have not seen any of them for 20 years, but of course we're talking about Karai baby starring Ricky Lake, uh, Susan Tyrrell, Polly Bergen, Amy Locaine, and uh, Johnny Depp, I believe in his big major breakout movie role after television. Cry baby. Mm. Johnny Depp, he's a rebel. Rock and roll! He's a loner. We're dead man, Walker! And he's about to tear this town apart. Crybaby, a film by John Waters, rated PG-13. Oh, yeah. Uh, very, very happy to talk about John Waters here. Yeah, very. it was, it was so nice to like, accidentally bump into him. I got a picture of Diana and John Waters at one of the women's yep. marches. Yep, he just happened to be there. I said, mm-hmm. hey, how you doing? Yeah, this is John Johnny Depp is like his big yeah a starring role mm-hmm. um, as <laughs> Crybaby Walker, a man who's, who only gives one tear when they put him down, and he's very upset because it turns out electricity killed my parents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like yeah, he's perfect for it. I I've said before uh, this is the best musical Johnny Depp is in. That's right. Ooh. Come come at me, Demon Barber, if it's straight. Ooh. Because it is pretty much a musical. There's a bunch of musical numbers that it's like, oh, we're, we're singing and dancing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of which are really good. Like, oh, yeah. John Waters just really wanted to do this so bad, and now he has an excuse. Mm. But, yeah, it's it's about, you know, this sort of greaser gang uh, led by Crybaby Walker, who's also a rock singer, and then he... Falls for, you know, the the good girl at school and, oh, people are trying to keep him apart. And then he is like, he's sent to jail. And yeah, <laughs> it's, an, it's an oddly and classic story. He's to break story. out in his underwear Age. because huh? it was important for the story, said John Waters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like we don't have juvenile. We, we need more juvenile delinquency movies oh, yeah. just in general. I don't care if it's, you know, over the edge style or old fashioned, you know, greaser style like, like Crybaby. They're just... It's just so much fun. Yeah. This whole movie is just fun as hell. Yeah. That's gonna that's something though that I don't know that we'll ever see really ever again. Like juvenile delinquency in general has just gone down so much over the years. I mean, I don't know. Mm. Kids these days. Yeah, uh, or it's gotten serious and it's like or it's like serious and it's like boys in the hood. It's like, no, that's not that's gang stuff. That's yeah, not that's juvenile right. delinquency. The right. stuff that's basically harmless like no one's really gonna get hurt they're just doing stupid shit yeah, yeah but spray I can, painting but, and something si- and singing rock and roll and that's corrupting the youth can't you can't you imagine getting your ass chewed out for knocking over mailboxes and posting a video of it on twitter not cool bro that's a federal <laughs> offense I'm, I'm reporting you to your boss i don't have a boss yeah. that's why i'm out here knocking over mailboxes <laughs> <laughs> but crybaby yeah a nice little 50s fairy tale and as a former juvenile delinquent, I dig it. I thoroughly recommend yeah. it. Uh, yeah, but- and it's, it's a pretty good place to start, I think, 
with John Waters. If you should probably not do John Waters in order because his <laughs> oh other my stuff God. is so rough and so <laughs> offensive that you'll just turn it off immediately and be like, nope, fuck everything this guy has ever done. Nope, 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 nope. You gotta start with but, Mondo yeah. Trasho. That's the <laughs> maybe not. But yeah, if you want to start with hairspray or crybaby and then start heading off in directions. Or Serial Mom, which is the next one we get to talk about. And yeah. I love that movie so much too. The utterly bizarre studio period of John Waters and equally bizarre, like this went up against one of my favorite comedy kid comedies of all time I, and i will stand by it we have a commentary for this on uh, patreon.com slash laser time if you want to watch it along with us and a uh, former host brett elston who is a diehard fan of jim varney because he's starring in his greatest movie imo along with uh gaylord Sar- just it's just a jim varney movie ernest yeah, goes to cares? jail <laughs> From Touchstone Pictures, something shocking has happened to Ernest P. Warren. I'm magnetic! And now he's attracting trouble like never before. Are you all right? Just live, thank you. He's attracting attention. I read him. He's attracting danger. He's had a real hard day. He's attracting everything inside. Ernest goes to jail. Two thumbs up. Bafo. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love this fucking Bafo. Movie. Bafo. <laughs> It's where I stole my James Mason impression from. Uh, if you've seen this, <laughs> I I fucking this is the best Ernest movie there is. There's no better showcase for his talents because long before Eddie Murphy did it, he plays multiple characters. Uh, they mm. end up switching places, so a mild mannered janitor ends up entering into death row in the weirdest prison you have ever seen. It is so starkly lit. All the prisoners, all the prison guards, wear hot pink giant fucking David Byrne suits with shoulder pads. It is. <laughs> It is utterly absurd to look at, and and I just love it so much. We talked about it in the Just Add Lightning episode, because I think Ernest is shocked by a floor polisher in the bank that he works at. And huh. so when he's taken to the electric chair, oh, yes, Ernest is executed on screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's given special pa- magnetic lightning powers from that incident, and he goes after the guy, the guy who looks just like him, who he's also playing. He also plays that wonderful, wonderful old woman character he plays so well. Uh, I love this film, and it never got better than this for Ernest. It's his last box office success going into Ernest Scared Stupid. It is, again, that bizarre period where Disney didn't really know how to make live-action movies. So, like, let's team up with, I don't know, this Benji dog and this hick comedian. That's why it's directed. <laughs> the movie's directed by John Cherry, who is also the co-owner of the Ernest character, as is like the fucking Indiana Milk Council or whatever commercial he spawned from. <laughs> These are weird stories. Laser Time has a whole earnest tale for you because he is one of the most fascinating comedians. And this movie is filled with so much great physical comedy. Look up the pen-eating scene in the jury box where he accident- he's chewing on his pen, bites off the top, and like I would say like 18 gallons of ink slowly come out of it <laughs> as he tries to stop it and eat napkins and put it all in his mouth. It's Wonderful physical comedy. I, it holds up for me. I have never in my life seen Diamond Dog Dave Rudden laugh more. He had seen the movie like once than when we watched this for a Monday night movie. And you can hear that commentary. He laughed thoroughly throughout this film. It's it's really, really fun for me. It does have a little bit of irony for me. I just want to play this little clip. Uh, Ernest is being sent to the electric chair and asking if he needs anything as his last rites. Nah. Would you like a cigarette or a blindfold or something? No, I'm afraid of the dark and cigarettes will kill you. <laughs> Funny, ironic. Mm. Uh, <laughs> R.I.P. Jim Barney. He was Barney. 50. He was 50 when he died. I know. Oof. It's absurd. That's what cigarettes will do to you. And, and I think only then, around 50, people might have been a little tired of the Ernest character, even kids. 
but people were slowly starting to discover like this dude is incredibly talented and that video of him i think is from this from the filming of this movie of him doing shakespeare dressed as Ernest is <laughs> is fucking wonderful <laughs> look it up it's on the yeah. youtubes and i shouldn't talk too much about this cuz i think there's going to be way too much to say about tv for the first time ever Mm. Uh, oh boy uh we had to delay an an entire episode based around this for laser time due to you know what we're all going through april 3rd through the 9th of tv 1990 on april 8th we have the debut of one of the i don't know i think the tv show that holds up the most in history Mm. it's time for twin peaks ladies and gentlemen and then that for two minutes (laughs) (laughs) i love it so much oh my god yes it's so good i i have a i have not i've yet to go through the entire series but our buddy kevin who you've heard on laser time owns a movie theater and before his theater had to move locations and sarah went with me they had a live from beginning to end every sunday they'd show two episodes of twin peaks Mm -hmm. and i'd seen the pilot so many times and like that's interesting i'd even seen the european pilot where they figured out who kills her it, mm-hmm. But, like, it's the third episode, people, where that shit starts to get <laughs> truly funny and surreal. And I cannot believe the whole world was in on this to where there are still, like, jokes in The Critic and The Simpsons that are based on Twin Peaks, a show that didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. No. It's kind of a season and a half mm-hmm. or so. And that second season is rough. Mm-hmm. It's got some good parts in it, but there is some deep, deep pointless stupidity going on mm-hmm. man though that first season is Twin peaks i i had to look up okay who is the fucking maniac that decided oh speaking of blue velvet blue velvet is david lynch's last movie yeah hey let's give this guy a show right <laughs> and you want to know who that crazy asshole was who bob Iger, who is now wow. the head of all of disney wow god bless you sir that is so that is, it's it, it, it is surreal, and like I, I, if you didn't get that from what I said earlier, I think it was always commissioned to be a TV show. But even the showrunners, including David Lynch, are like, "This is probably not going to go. Let's shoot yeah. an ending so we can show a movie overseas mm-hmm. if this pilot doesn't get picked up." So there is like a pretty unsatisfying two-hour cut of the pilot yeah. that's like a movie. Mm, and, yeah. and and I, Bobby it, did it. it <laughs> And it, it it doesn't do the show justice at all because the show is mostly about weird characters who have no reason to be there and offer you nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it seems pitched as like, oh, it's a murder mystery. It's a detective show. No, it's a soap opera. Mm-hmm. It's a weird fucking yes. soap opera. And it knows that it's a soap opera because mm-hmm. it yes. cuts to a fake soap opera very often. It talking about very... weird, pointless things that happen very in show. intentionally a soap opera there is you know a someone's tied up when they burn down the mill and that's way i get control of the company oh mm-hmm. no you've been cheating on me with my rival behind my back who's at the door why it's the murder victim's identical twin cousin mm-hmm. <laughs> yes mm-hmm. soap opera bitches it's this show too has all the makings of not being my shit and instead it is incredibly my shit like i don't know why but i love it so incredibly much there's something so comforting about how unsettling it is Mm -hmm. and i think maybe it has something to do with the fact that the show 
really settles into its weirdness in a way that you just think, okay, I'm just going to go along for the ride with this. I don't know what it is. The the imagery that you see and just the way the sets are dressed and the way that everyone, all the characters are dressed and the nature and everything is both soothing and unsettling at the same time yes. in a way that is, it just works, man. There's, there's so a, well. Whenever I watch it, I, I always feel like there is a calmness here that wasn't on present on television then and isn't now, mm-hmm. but it is foreboding and it is, it creates a ton of tension, but it is quiet. It is, yes. it is largely yeah. quiet. There's no gunfights in Twin Peaks. No, absolutely. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. Eventually there's a tiny one. Yeah. Tiny one. This is a show, though, that I – is where I, I first started to learn the lesson of stop trying to figure this out. Yeah. Mm. I tried so hard to make everything make sense of, like, what's with the cards and why is she the queen of diamonds and what mm-hmm. is that reference from? And uh, that uh, – no – and so I was so happy. 25 years later, like they said on the show, Twin Peaks comes back. I stopped trying to make it make sense, and I was so much happier. And mm-hmm. th- that's the thing. Just the, let it wash over you. The new mm-hmm. season of Twin Peaks sounds astonishing. And I say the new tw- – allegedly, there are mumblings that they are filming a fourth season of Twin Peaks to follow up the 2017 one right now. Uh, and it, I remember how – I don't know, because there's a fucking movie that follows Twin Peaks that I really want right. to see, and my friend Kevin is like, you cannot watch that until you see the right. series. It's 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 yeah. it's and it's a hard R as opposed to the show yeah. that aired on the fucking Disney network. Mm-hmm. And- yep. Yeah, oh. the the movie is uh, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get there in like a couple of years. But yeah, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, it's sort of it's the same thing. It is very, very unsettling. And yeah, I mean they can go R, so there's like boobies and stuff. But it just really continues that deeply, deeply unsettling feeling while also trying to explain some things, which, yeah, no, you're never going to be able to make this make sense because it intentionally doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about there's like forces of good and evil in the world. And one of them is a little person who talks backwards. And the other one is a guy with scraggly hair and he's a bad guy. And yeah, and then Twin Peaks the Returns like there's a tree with a brain on it. Like, <laughs> um, okay. And I, I, I'm trying not to read too deep in the news. What they do to the main character of Twin Peaks in the third season of Twin Peaks entertains me to no end. <laughs> and and that, that that the audience was up for it. Kyle MacLachlan was up for it. And it gave us Kyle MacLachlan. So he'd been in Blue Velvet, but like th- he got to host SNL based on this. The, yeah. I got to learn his name forever. He's one of the most yep. delightful people in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Like I just absolutely love him. He's so strange i think as a person and mm-hmm. uh and the fact that he plays like one of the most tight ass characters in tv history in sex in the city is very mm. interesting and funny to me but he's fantastic in portlandia so i feel like that really is his <laughs> true self uh the weirdness embracing the weirdness yeah. um but yeah he's no i think so goofy on that i love it i think you're right though about just the like letting it wash over you mm. is like I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why it resonates with so many people is that it's just an important lesson for life. And knowing what we know about creator David Lynch. David, David, Lynch. David mm. Yes, thank you. Knowing what we know about him um, and his like dealings with transcendental meditation and everything, and you know, rad- the radical acceptance of that. I think I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of a meditation of you're just not you're just not supposed to know. You're just not supposed to know what things are. Yeah, some things are just there just because they're spooky. It doesn't actually add up to something. It's just spooky. Don't try and make my movie in your brain. It's my movie. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's why, I mean, yeah, Agent Cooper is such a great character because he is, he is a super square tight ass, and yet he really, really isn't. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, he's like, his delivery is Joe Friday, but the things he says are hippie Joe Friday. Have I mean, they're just that? somewhere else entirely about, yeah. you know, uh, being contacted through dreams. And Have you ever seen trees throw... like this that stretch to the sky? Ah, that air. Yeah. <sighs> or it's like, oh, if I throw rocks at bottles, it'll tell me who did it. And he's like very serious about the science of this. This is mm-hmm. this holds up. This could be useful. And it's like, uh, okay. And I don't know That's... if it's Pav- Pavlovian what Kevin did to me because he would – a local he was hosting Twin Peaks marathons, and a local coffee brewer made um, what was it? Ghost Forest coffee. They uh, bre- they brewed an exclusive coffee for yeah. the screening of Twin Peaks, and like they would Ooh. brew it and, and and offer donuts. And I, I, what shows make you crave food and drink in Twin oh Peaks? Every time I think about it, like God, I want some fucking coffee <laughs> and donut. Oh my god, oh, yes, so I bad. absolutely love it. That was like some of my favorite things we did last year is going mm-hmm. to see those screenings with you know the coffee and the donuts, and that adds to the comforting nature of the show. Mm. I don't know. It's a mm. real paradox, which I think David Lynch would be very proud of us feeling that way about it because that's how you're supposed to feel. I mean, and I, I'm glad I came up on David Lynch because the thing I'll always say about him, like. If anybody else did what he did, I would be mad at you and I would never watch anything you made again. Right. I, lo- Same. I-, I love having one David Lynch. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There can but, only be one. Yeah. But I mean, people look back on this, you know, 30 years later and point to this is a this is a, a kind of a starting point for we could have more cinematic television. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. Fucking excellent point. We, for real. Yeah. We can we can shoot on location. We can have it be serialized. We We can. Have it be odd or weird or just character driven instead of, you know, this is a TV drama and this is a TV comedy. It could just be sort of all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And your audience will show up. Because when, when I watch TV shows now, like, uh, like kind of wind their wheels because they can't get to the point of their fucking horseshit, it's infuriating. Mm-hmm. Whereas David Lynch will just make jokes and introduce new mm-hmm. silly characters or odd mystery intention. Which is like, yeah, yeah. the idea of a TV show is just to be on the air for as long as you can. This is the most entertaining way to do that. Yeah, uh, and to have like a strong authorial voice. I mean, yeah. David Lynch and Mark Frost, their voices all over this. Their ideas are all over this. And so you wouldn't have something like, how about yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer as an sure. example? Mm-hmm. Something yeah. that has a, a real clear voice and point of view mm-hmm. that is not just... Let's appeal to as many people as possible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I, good. And, that's, and when, when the movie was remastered, when the show was remastered, it looks fucking excellent. I can't yeah. name you the fucking mm-hmm. awful shows that are probably on ABC right now, but I bet they look like dog shit because this is oh shot on film. I just love the palette of it, the dark greens and the dark reds and the browns. Like, it just looks so beautiful at a time where, like, not a lot of stuff looked super great like on TV mm-hmm. but going back because so much of it feels timeless like the mo- the show could be set almost at any time yes. and like mm. you know yeah. during the 20th century honestly like because it does have so much old timey feel to it and the technology is what it is in the town because it's like a small you yeah. know uh, logging town so it's like kind of set apart from other things so yeah, everybody in every david lynch production is always dressed like they're going to a blue collar job mm-hmm. or or a funeral <laughs> and they're in they're in <laughs> three piece suit. sock hop <laughs> yes yeah yeah 
And I mean, we it's interesting too because when you look at the people, the cast, we've got Kyle McLaughlin, but he's really the only one in the cast that really broke out hugely. I mean, Ray Wise, you we've seen him pop up, you know, here and there, but he's kind of mm-hmm. more one of those hey, it's that guys. Laura Flynn Boyle, you know, she yeah. was on the practice for a really long time, but then besides that. You know, I don't know too. You know, a household you name. Didn't really from, see her after that. She was dating Jack Nicholson for a long time. I like uh, right. Russ Tamlin because he's like a B movie one, one <laughs> yeah. kind. And uh, Miguel Ferrer. Uh, yes, he was one of two posthumous surprises in the new season of Twin Peaks, which I love seeing social media light up over. Like, how the fuck is David Bowie in this? How, <laughs> how the fuck right. is Miguel Ferrer in this? Oh. They've been dead for years. Oh, my yep. God. Oh, and just, yeah, a bunch of old timers like Piper Laurie was in there. Mm-hmm. Peggy Lipton uh, was in there. Jack Nance, who was a racer head. Wow. That was yeah. so cool. Heather Graham, David yeah. Duchovny. It's, it's, it's fucking astonishing. You should t- please. I, I don't know why I didn't include this in the intro. I was just like, oh, God, Twin Peaks. I don't want to touch it. Because, again, I'm not, I'm not that skilled in it. And uh, I talked this week on Laser Time about movies made before you were born. I only started watching this when it was rerunning on Bravo, hmm. which is what Bravo oh, wow. used to be, because the, the villain from The Warriors popped up in it. And I still don't know that guy's <laughs> name. Warriors come out to play. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, it's little Sean Penn. I haven't seen him in anything else. <laughs> oh, my God. And his character is fucking hysterical. But we don't know who that is? In the show? Wait, do you know who that actor is? No. Oh, no, I have no idea. No, uh, uh, I can look I it up, but like, I, but I still yeah. don't know his name. But I wouldn't have given the show a second look had it not had a Warriors cast member in it. And it, it is <laughs> – it's wonderfully surreal. The, the Bravo really helped that show a lot. If you buy the DVDs, there's intros by the log lady that were made for Bravo. <gasps> right. And- Yay! <laughs> yeah, oh, I just—I uh, don't know. It's so hard to say much about this show, too, because yeah, even though it is mm-hmm. thirty years old, I don't want to give anything away um, because so much of the joy of it is the discovery. I mean, watching it is like having a dream, mm-hmm. and then yeah. sometimes it's a dream within a dream, and you just kind of have to let images and concepts like pass through you and like become part of the story instead of trying to figure anything out. And I just find that to be fascinating. That's a and... great segue to the next the next decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just gonna say, look, mm-hmm. there's only thirty episodes, yo, of the original show. Yeah. Right. The first run, so just go for it, man. Where else are you going right now? Where? Nowhere. Well, now, now you can go to beautiful Washington State, which, uh, yeah, I've been there. I, I was on a road trip and I saw like, oh, I'm pretty much going straight through there. Yeah, we're getting off. We're going to the diner. Yeah. Oh, God, I, that is a dream. It is beautiful sure. up there. Well, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. We're talking about, you know, the show in the next segment, in the 2000 segment, we're going to be talking about a television episode that is – could not exist without Twin Peaks. Ooh, okay. Mm. No one says so, that. I've never heard that before. But I yeah. believe you, yes. And and now we have to find a way to work in April 9th's Bob Hope's Spring Fling of Comedy and Glamour from Acapulco. I mean, oh. he just keeps churning these things out. I couldn't find a good promo for it. Um, and the cast list, only cast list I could find, I'm sure is one of those you know, scrolling cast list of anyone who wanted to go to Acapulco that weekend. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Ann Jillian joined him. Kurt Cameron, of course. Mm, yeah. um, Clint Black. I can Phil convert Stiller. some natives. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So he just gathers up his friends and takes them on a trip. Mm-hmm. <sighs> 
But I love that these are within a day of each other. It's like this is this is way ahead of its time, and this is thirty years too. Right. Late. That's yes. the, that's the television equivalent of what we dealt with with like Batman and Weekend at Bernie's being like a week apart. And they're like, both surreal and kind of nightmarish. Yeah. <laughs> Old TV gives way to new TV. This is that's uh, man, that is fucking fascinating. Uh, and Bob Hope would not die for another few years. Another. Yeah, Several 20 years. something, yeah. yeah. Was it 20? No, he didn't make it till 2010. Did uh, he? No. Let's no. double check. No, I th- no, no, early 2000s. Yeah. And and we again we talk about video games more in depth on the uh the patreon.com slash laser time feed, and we have a new one out for you right now involving all the fun games uh from March. And I have to imagine we'll have a lot to say about Snake's Revenge, colon, depending what territory you're in, Metal Gear 2. So Metal Gear is one of the most famous game franchises of all time, but it wasn't back then, but it was a huge hit in the West. So Japan was like, hey, the NE- the people who play NES really like uh, Metal Gear, make a sequel. And Kojima wasn't involved and didn't know it was happening. <laughs> the guy Uh-oh. who started. The- so this is, it's not, no one hates this game, but no one loves it or considers it part of the series either. And the true Metal Gear sequel would come to a system Americans didn't even have access to. So you had this weird Snake's Revenge. In America, it was just Snake's Revenge. And it, uh-huh. the, the box is still bizarre to look at. It has a fascinating history. We will go more in depth on that. Patreon.com slash later time. Ernest goes to jail commentaries in Star Wars, too. Hey, how about that? Music of 1990, April 3rd through the 9th. We have new releases from Adam Ant. Yeah, man, he made it into the 90s with Manners and Physique. Uh, en Vogue's debut, Born to Sing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Love like, you, you don't need to think of the album title today. Let's let's take some time with this. A, <laughs> uh, and Sinead O'Connor's I, I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got. Uh, did I say that right? That still sounds awkward. Which yep. is which is on uh, the Rolling Stone Top 500 album list. Sinead O'Connor. Yep. And we'll have a number one in a couple weeks, I think. Ooh. Nothing compares yep. to the number one this week, though, and that's Taylor Dane. Love will lead you back. <laughs> and we will close out with that, closing our 1990 segment. But please, people, stay right there. There's so much great shit to talk about in 2000, and we'll be right there. Hello, fellow nerf herders. Did you not like Last Jedi, Rise of the Skywalker, or would you just prefer a majority of Star Wars fans take a slow walk into a volcano? What I'm saying is, are you sick of Star Wars? Well, I thought I was, but my co-host Jeremy and Adam beg to differ. Except when they don't. Get ready for a whole lot of love, a whole lot of hate, and a whole lot of geeky therapy in our new series, Sick of Star Wars with a big giant question mark, exclusively available at patreon.com slash laser time. Here's a little taste. My funky Footage. Does anybody remember the show Total Request Live, otherwise known as TRL? Oh, yes. TRL was a show on MTV that would count down the best music videos as voted on by the public. You mean Marilyn Manson and Eminem? Yes. Eminem. (laughs) Yes, we got LFO talking about Summer Girls. Macaulay Culkin was home alone. That is the worst fucking rap I've ever... Anyway, uh, TRL, like a bunch of people outside screaming for their favorite music videos and being allowed to vote on them from home uh, via the internet and via mostly telephone at this point. And on the 3rd of March in 1999, about three months before Star Wars comes out, MTV premieres 
the music video for John Williams' Duel of the Fates. <laughs> and for 11 days, this appears in the top 10. Imagine you're in a world like, I can't see any more Star Wars footage than what's in the trailer. You're saying you have more for me in yeah. addition to yes. a choir and an 80-year-old man conducting an orchestra? But I'm going to call MTV and ask you to play that all the time. <laughs> this is Dave Holmes in Times like Square introducing the Duel of the Fates music video for clearly not the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah. but a, a person in Times Square, like in person. Yeah, we love Star Wars so much. Came all the way from Michigan to New York City with a group of college students, and instead of going to the bar last night, we went to Toys R Us to get some Star Wars toys. Are you kidding me? No, no. You are such a geek, Stacy. Yeah, I am a geek. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you because I'm a geek too. I have to stock up on those. So you're ready to check a third look at the uh, the Star Wars video. Are you ready? Oh yeah. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Very well. Let's take another look. The London Symphony Orchestra conducted by John Williams. This is Duel of the Fates. It is the only orchestral song of any kind to appear on MTV's TRL, but like again with the people with no internet, like, dude, show the Star Wars footage again. Again, yeah. look, look at his face. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> his eyes say that's not a request, it's a demand. Uh, oh, that's sick of Star Wars. Available exclusively at patreon.com slash laser time, along with weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive bonus podcasts, and more for just five bucks. And that's in addition to the brand new show, Sick of Star Wars, an angst-ridden podcast saga told in nine parts. Listen long and prosper. This is so wizarding. thought you were safe from Santana. Aha! I don't care. You're stuck in your houses. Enjoy Santana. And Maria Maria, which is bringing us into 2000, April 3rd through the 9th, our segment of 30 2010. It's Santana featuring the product G&B, which is not a thing I can remember now. <laughs> what, mm. The product G&B. It's number one following up a year of smooth tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but here's some new albums, including one I know I had. Goldfinger's stomping ground. I was a big fan of Goldfinger. Just giving a shout out to Goldfinger. They're not just the Tony Hawk band. They're the band I drove to Atlanta to see five hours from Tallahassee, Florida, where they were opening for Sugar Ray, a much worse band. And uh, it was before the internet, and they were sold out. And we were that would it felt like a movie. It feels like a movie now. We had to drive five hours to find out a show was sold out. And we went to Starbucks, and Goldfinger was there and says, we'll put you on the guest list. I'm like, what the fuck? This is the best thing ever. They didn't let us backstage because we were too weird and young. Uh, <laughs> but it's out this week. Soul, uh, Lost Souls by Doves uh, is out this week, as is The uh, Menace the Menace by Elastica, uh, Tongues of, Sav- <laughs> of Savotion by Smog, Ecstasy by Lou Reed, who is still alive, of One Blood by Shadows Fall, Ooh, WYSIWYG by Chumbawamba. Uh, that's what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And Pink's Pink's debut is only twenty years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is a great album too. Mm. Can't it's take much me home. More, yeah, it's much more. I would say R and B influenced mm-hmm. than her mm-hmm. later stuff. Mm-hmm. The later yeah. pop stuff. It's I, a bit more R and B. It's pretty poppy though. Like listening to a couple songs, and I was like, I can't tell if this isn't Christina Aguilera at the same time. Mm. They sound a lot alike. 
she was kind of like the tough girl's answer to Christina and Brittany at this time. Yeah, like so true. she, it, which is why I had her album and not those other two ladies' albums because I mm-hmm. was cool and different. And I basically wore that album out. It is fantastic. And I did a recital dance to it. <laughs> my, my dance company. I always forget. Uh, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know Pink's body of work. And every once in a while she'll pop up on an award show. I'm like, oh, didn't know she could really sing. Yeah, no she's idea. awesome. No idea. Uh, only hear the pop stuff from her. Uh, welcome to 2000, everyone. April 3rd through the 9th. Uh, this is some weird pop culture minutia news to bring you into the decade. Oh, Diana will help me out with this one, I'm sure. A Clockwork Orange is legally screened in the UK for the first time in 27 years. Yep. So when A Clockwork Orange came out in the early 70s in Britain, there were a couple crimes that they thought were sort of copycat crimes and that they were some, you know, violent gangs beat up an old dude. Uh, So Stanley Kubrick voluntarily pulled it from circulation and you could not see it in Britain, period. Mm -hmm. Wow. To the point where there was a movie theater in Calais, which is the port on the uh, on the French side of the channel, that just ran it like the whole time. It was wow. like, you you want your chance to see it? You can see it. Because, you know, it's back the VHS and you got your NTSCs and your pals and DVDs are starting to come in. And it's, it's like, well, people could get their paws on it if they really, really, really tried. But it was a pain in the ass. And remember, Kubrick died last year mm-hmm. and his estate said, yeah, OK. Yeah, I, I so finally, all these people, because I remember I was in film school just a couple of years before this, and we could talk about A Clockwork Orange, but a lot of people had not seen it, and they were fucking frustrated. And I, I, I remember this, I believe, in my estimation, led to the stories of a little film nerds before the internet that Clockwork Orange actually contained a lot of stuff that it did not. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, mm. it's a loudly controversial film. In its, yeah. in its in its cut, but I grew up thinking it was rated X for a lot of like rape and pornography. Wait, did you think it was rated X for unsimulated rape and pornography? <laughs> I'm I can be graphic if you'd like. Because um, yeah, that was I mean that, those are some of the rumors. Same with uh, "Spit on Your Grave," which was also banned in the UK. Um, huh. Yeah, because it, it ended up on a lot of ban lists, and I like pointing that out for uh, anti censorship folks. No, Stanley Kubrick made the decision very quickly um, to be socially responsible. In, in his term, on his terms, but like, no, I heard the the big giant dick thing they beat the woman to death with was used on her. And oh. that is what in pre-internet I was told from people <laughs> who ca- if you can imagine a bunch of like 12 year olds caring this much about Clockwork Orange, uh, I was told that. But uh, what most people my age were caring about uh, that has announced on this day, Nintendo has sold its 100th millionth Game Boy. Whoa! One hundred million. I don't know. There's there's movies that have been seen by a hundred million people, but we're, we've sold our hundred millionth Game Boy. That's wild. Indeed, it is. As is the movies of two thousand, which are all wild for different fucking God. reasons, including <laughs> this one. Who directed Black and White, and why are there so many people in it? Uh, it's James Toback. We don't like him. Right. Okay. He, he got me too super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of people in it because it's sort of like an experimental kind of thing where it's it's largely improvised look at like black culture and why do white kids uh, care so much about black culture and fame and rap and basketball and it's just sort of all over the place but it's got everybody in it Mm -hmm. wow like everybody pops up for at least five minutes ben stiller elijah wood mike tyson is himself scott con who's in another movie we're about to talk about brooke shields claudia schiffer raekwon uh power grant bijou phillips joe pantaleato method man 
Jared Leto, Ellen Houston, the basketball star, Gabby Hoffman, and because it's Toback, Robert Downey Jr. has to show up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the reviews were sort of like, well, some people are better than others because it's largely improvised, so you you get what you get. You get what you get, and you don't and mind a bit. One nope. One and second. it's taking on so big a topic of, like, race and culture that, like, I don't know. Where are you going to go with that? Yeah. And I feel like you got to narrow it down. But, eh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Black and white. Whatever. People trying different things. I appreciate that. Sure. Whew. And I can't believe how many cast members the next movie shares, which I could talk at length about, but I won't because I love you. David Arquette, Oliver Platt, Scott Kahn. Some people know what this movie is, but then I can get more specific with Bill Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, Rose McGowan, uh, Richard Lineback, Steve Sting Borden, Joe Penaliano, and Martin Landau. Ken. Uh, yeah. Good. Joey Pants and Scott Kahn again? In the same movie, released mm-hmm. the same week. That classic twosome. <laughs> this is how you... And if you weren't sure this is a Ted Turner joint, this is what this is. Jimmy King is the greatest wrestler of all time. Wrestling's fake. Wrestling's not fake! Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my God, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view! This movie is, like, wonderfully bad. There have been two major motion pictures made about wrestling, if you don't count the wrestler, and they're (laughs) wonderfully bad. But Ready to Rumble is more insidious in terms of its brand synergy. It is a Ted Mm -hmm. Turner movie, courtesy of, I think, New Line Cinema, uh, from his his, his TNT-TBS show, uh, WCW, Nitro and Thunder, and it is this movie is unre- would be unremarkable if not for the ramifications on actual wrestling. David Arquette is in this movie because he's a real wrestling fan, and as Vince McMahon did with Noel Holds Barred, Tony Tiny Lister, um, mm-hmm. Debo from Friday, got introduced into the WWE universe as a real person. David Arquette became a real wrestler in WCW, and through the <laughs> weirdest thing I ever saw live, he is knocked out, and Diamond Dallas Page. Picks up, picks him up, and has him pin someone. And David Arquette, momentarily while promoting this movie, became the champion of WCW. And most people mark that as the beginning of the end. When you your wrestlers <laughs> are being beaten by Jay Leno and David Arquette, yeah, we want some semblance that the story is real, even though we know what's happening in front of us isn't necessarily real. This is too unreal to tolerate. Mm. And David Arquette spent a tiny bit of time as the champion of this entire W the WCW conference. I don't even know. It's so Talk fucking about crazy. A participation trophy. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to this day, like a year ago, David Arquette was open up bloody in a professional wrestling match. The dude is a fan, and <laughs> the dude is a fan. Okay. He's he's still occasionally wrestling. I don't know what else he'd do because we don't have one eight hundred call one hundred collect anymore. And uh, it's, sure. but in the two thousands, people mistook him for a leading man. Uh, just counts as alimony yeah. money. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's... It's friends' money. So, so the actual plot of this movie mm-hmm. is that David Arquette and Scott Kahn are wrestling fans, and their favorite wrestler is defeated, and then they come try to help him. Is mm-hmm. that a plot? But the but their favorite wrestler is Oliver Platt. Yes, who is playing that's the, the best king. Part. Oliver the King Lawler, I, I don't get it. I it, mean, he's a giant man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a big guy, but I don't see him as an athletic kind of big guy. No. It's bizarre this movie exists. But that's kind of 
That's very strange that they wouldn't mm-hmm. just pick yeah a wrestler. But I guess are all the wrestlers playing themselves? Uh, they are, but like for example, Diamond Dallas Page was David Arquette's partner, but in this movie, they're adversaries. But in, uh-huh. the, in real in, in real life, AKK Fabe Wrestling, Diamond Dallas Page was the they're one of their biggest good guys. He's a bad guy in the movie, so it's confusing. Uh, okay. Because because even No Holds Barred doesn't have a lot of currently working wrestlers in it. It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one has everyone. Everyone who's popular in WCW makes like a tiny appearance. Not everyone, but like it's it's it it, it is a little more. What do you want to call it? Insidious, synergistic, corporate brand sponsor mm. brand cohesion. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, I'm glad it exists, but I could not watch it again, and maybe I will if you <laughs> pay me. Okay, but ready to rumble, the less said about it the better. We now get to the only movie ever I can call my my grandmother's favorite non-black and white movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Duchovny, Mini Driver, Return to Me. Oh my God, look at this cast. Carol O'Connor, Robert Loggia, David Allen Greer, Bonnie Hunt, uh, James Belushi, and Jolie Richardson. You're just going to tell him. Oh, how, how do I tell him? You just, Bob, you know, I, I had a heart... Warming dream about you. Oh, who died? Bob, why? He's married? Joe, maybe you should put on a shirt or Grace will never be satisfied by another man. My grandma, and I didn't even know until this very moment it's directed by Bonnie Hunt. But Return to Me, I don't remember. I remember, I, this is back in the days I'm reading about every movie. I remember no one being very kind to it except for Grandma. But it does have a lot of I, old people in it. I watched this movie mm. in preparation for recording, and mm. I found it to be charming as book. Mm. I, a very gentle film. I loved it. Maybe I'm a grandma lady. I, it's actually, I am a grandma lady, so it works out perfectly for me. But yeah, I really found it to be, and I mean, the fact that Bonnie Hunt directed it makes perfect sense because Bonnie Hunt is one of the most charming human beings on this planet, and I love her so much. And so I'm, that's, it makes perfect sense to me. I don't know. This movie isn't like, oh, you guys got to go out and see it, but it's definitely, has some really good parts to it. I, f- I found it to be very sweet. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's, it's a hackneyed idea of like a romance movie, but it's executed very well. Mm-hmm. And like you, you get points for that. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't really explain in the trailer, but uh mini driver uh, had a terrible heart defect. You <laughs> yes. got a heart transplant. What? Yes. The heart, the heart transplant is a huge part of the movie. <laughs> Right, yeah. mm-hmm. is that she she got a heart transplant and it turns out her heart is from David Nakovny's dead wife. But then mm-hmm. they meet up and all cute and then they start dating and she finds out and how can she tell him? Oh, no, but the heart wants what it wants. Mm-hmm. And this heart has taken over her body <laughs> and trying to return to her husband. Not really, that would be a cool horror movie. It's- yeah. <laughs> it's got some really interesting strange elements that I think sets it apart from other movies that it keeps it from being too basic like the whole David Duchovny's wife uh dead wife played by Jolie Richardson used to be a primate trainer I guess for the zoo or basically a zookeeper for primates and he is like building this giant primate like habitat for her and so that's also going on in the background of the whole story which 
I don't know why it seems strange, <laughs> like as a set piece, but it works. And then also Minnie driver's family, she comes from like an Irish Italian family that is just made up of all these old guys that love her so much, like Carol O'Connor and Robert Loja. And they're like trying to take care of her, but, and so they're all up in her business all the time and they're super adorable. And I don't know. It's an interesting, I, I feel like the acting is very good and because it's not over done like there's not a lot of like music swelling and like oh you know it's just it's i i it felt like just two people acting in a very realistic way for a very unrealistic set of circumstances and also this is gonna be very controversial but i quite enjoyed james belushi's uh <laughs> acting in this honestly there are a couple parts that he made me laugh out loud so sorry because he plays a slovenly like man is just how you see us all sarah <laughs> no, I feel like that's where he's the best, where he's not the lead. He is like the fourth or fifth guy down. Uh-huh. Yeah, where he's just sort of he's the wacky husband to the best best girlfriend. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. He you can just drop in, be comic relief, and then leave. He and Bonnie Hunt are so cute together. It's like a married couple. They got a bunch of kids. He's always screaming at his kids, but he loves them. And he's also like super horny for Bonnie Hunt, which I found to be very charming. So I don't know. <laughs> I was into it. It hit me at the at a time when our universe is crumbling around us. I found it to be a very sweet and comforting movie about love. Mm. Yeah. Lots of different types of love, which I enjoyed. And uh, I, I find it fantastic that this is the first movie that – hit my grandmother through word of mouth and she spread to her retirement community. And I also remember it being my dad and I teamed up on black Friday to give her a DVD player with return to me. Oh yeah. Oh, and then, she, and then sorry, guy perspective here, hook it up. Why doesn't the movie just start? I don't want to hit it. I have to hit a button before the movie. Yes. Just hit play. That's all. Okay. I think we can undo this. Why are there black bars on the top of it? I don't want to see black bars. And I just like, fuck you, grandma. I give up. I give up. There's no helping old people. But I do. It is odd that like Bonnie Hunt may have made the perfect old people movie and anyone left to appreciate it is dead. Um, I appreciate (laughs) it. Okay. Sarah's very much alive. Um, For but, now. but uh, the one person meant to love this movie is dead. Tom Clancy. Uh, <laughs> the number of the box office this week is uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Sam Jackson, and Guy Pierce in Rules of Engagement. This is a take from the embassy security system. What if the crowd had weapons? What if this shows they did fire first? I don't want to watch it. I don't want to testify about it. I don't want it to exist. We don't have anybody to back up your case. That's because all my witnesses are dead. Withholding evidence to frame... Uh, What happened? Why is the military right? So, I did not remember correctly. I could have sworn this was a post-9-11 movie, and it amazingly is not. But Mm -hmm. it feels like one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays uh, commander of... These Marines are trying to help out around the U.S. Embassy in Yemen. And he says, oh, there are people in the crowd and they shot at me. So I ordered my men to fire and we killed a whole mess of civilians, including children. And he's going to be court-martialed for this. And so he picks Tommy Lee Jones to be his attorney. And shenanigans. Oh, the government's covering it up. Oh, sometimes you need a man on that wall to do what you need to be done. And you can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. it it gets into that pretty fast, and it's basically like it it's, it feels so jingoistic though. But at the end, it's pretty much like, yeah, we should 
trust guys even if they kill civilians because that's what needs to be done in a war mm. it's like mm. but there's civilians and it's not a war that's why i feel like how is this not from 2002 yeah. right yeah what if you weren't there uh, anyway <laughs> yeah or it's like sometimes there's oh bad things happen and all oh, the terrorists like to hide amongst people so they make you look bad <clears throat> Oh, we gotta trust our guys to know what's right. And it's like, well, yes, but also don't kill civilians. Like, is there a way you could have done that without killing like sixty people? Mm. Most of it's a courtroom drama that's not especially tense. Mm. And you're you're waiting for Samuel L. Jackson to bring the like a time to kill craziness, and he doesn't. Mm. So they, uh, I believe, at the end of the movie, they deem Sam Jackson's over response not guilty. Uh, but <laughs> it typically yeah, happens with much, the military. Pretty much everything works out great. Oh, we have more except patri- for those dead people. We have more patriotic shit than this in the 2000 TV segment, baby. April 3rd through the 9th. Hey, March Madness now has taken on a whole new meaning. But back then, 20 years ago, basketball. Uh, NCAA mm-hmm. March Madness finals. Michigan State beats Florida. Can you believe it? The Wolverines and the yeah. Gators. Oh my God! Uh, wait, you hate second Gator Gators. Oh, all right, my parents are Gators. I can't allow that. Uh, there's a Don Quixote. T- <laughs> there's a Don Quixote TV movie. Somehow this miraculously makes it to air. Uh, John Lithgow, Bob Hoskins, Vanessa Williams, and Isabel Rossellini and Don Quixote from TNT and Hallmark Entertainment. Don Quixote de la Mancha. That is my name and title. He was an ordinary man living in an extraordinary world that existed only in his mind. No giants in Spain. Perhaps you never went looking for one. John Lithgow, Bob Hoskins, Vanessa L. Williams, and Isabella Rossellini see an impossible dream come alive through the eyes of Don Quixote. Sunday, April 9th at 8 Eastern on TNT. This, these effects look fucking terrible. <laughs> like, this uh, is... Guys, when are we going to be done with Don Quixote? Like, I'm sorry. For real. Can we just let it go already? Like... <laughs> There is a certain type of white man that is super into making Don Quixote a thing. <laughs> Stop trying to make Don Quixote a thing. It's not going to be a thing, guys. Yeah. It's just never quite been done right. And I'm bummed that this is directed by Peter Yates, who made Breaking Away and Bullet, bitches. Wow. I love those Yeah. Movies. But, you know, he was old then. And, yeah, just hasn't quite ever been filmed right, but... I mean, it's John John Lithgow sort of channeling his third rock from the sun character, so that's good. Yeah. He does crazy pretty well, so eh. And, and on the f- April fifth, happy birthday to my sister. Uh, mm. The West Wing airs six meetings before lunch, uh, where CJ does the jackal. Please explain. Yes, <laughs> this this is some of the cringiest, cringiest white people shit that. <laughs> Has ever a, a Sorkin has ever Sorkined so hard, <laughs> uh, but yes, CJ. Everyone, well, just play just a little bit of the clip, just Please. the first part, and it'll show you. Kathy, where's Sam? In his office, fighting with your daughter. Tell him to come to the press room. He's not going to want to miss the jackal. <laughs> oh no, I remember this. You say oh, you say oh, it's man. cringe, but like celebrity karaoke is a thing now. <laughs> yeah, but this so the jackal is a spoken word 
acid jazz piece by Ronnie Jordan and Dana Bryant. And it is so CJ is like lip syncing this at a party that they're having during the day in the White House. And everyone is like, woo! And then all the men are like, habada, 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 habada. <laughs> and it's like, what is happening here, people? This is very bizarre. And it also makes me feel kind of icky. <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, I didn't want to see that. Uh, but I tell you what, I'll, I could watch it over and over again. April 8th SNL. Ah. Oh, yeah. I, I, as from an, a giant SNL nerd's perspective, I, I thought it was really weird when Christopher Walken would show up on SNL. It was really mm-hmm. awkward, and the audience didn't laugh, and he was very clearly reading off the cue cards. But it kept happening because I think the writers were enormously entertained. And, and Didn't we have like his first appearance in 1990 or late 89? Yeah, I think so. Like, I feel like we had him pretty recently with the the introduction of the Continental. Yeah, I can't I can't remember exactly, but like his first appearance isn't like wow, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. To where now, if Chris Walken is on SNL, it should be a national holiday. But like, <laughs> I, I'm shocked he was brought back because other than the Continental sketch, it was all really weird and. Yeah. Um, and no, no, sorry. This is, remember we were talking about him doing it in 1990. He's done a couple of appearances in between then and now. And okay. this is this is in 2000, hosting uh, with musical guest Christina Aguilera. And I'm just Ooh. assuming Sarah wrote down featuring one of the most famous and best sketches ever. And I went and got what that sketch was without asking her. And I'm <laughs> okay. Oh no. <laughs> with without fail, I'm pretty sure it involves Blue Oyster Cult. Yes, and because we <laughs> we did a little episode of Laser Time uh, last year about corpsing on SNL, and this is not the most notorious, but like <sighs> it's a good sketch without the laughter. But I'm going to play you the audio. But the funny thing is, is 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 Will Ferrell's character is playing a cowbell into Chris Parnell's face, and they have to <laughs> they have to stage fight. <laughs> However, they almost really knock over Horatio Sands. So everyone is kind of laughing, and then Will Ferrell's shirt starts to come up, and, and beard starts to come off, and Will Ferrell's pretty good about not cracking in sketches. Jimmy Fallon, of course, is the one who starts everything, but it, it, yeah, it gets to everybody except Chris Walken, who keeps going and makes everyone crack up even harder. This is the highlight of the sketch to me. Come on, Jimmy! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! It doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. <laughs> Don't blow this for us, Gene! Could be so, so selfish, Gene. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, baby, just say it. <laughs> I'm staring here, staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. The cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say, baby. And Bobby, you are right, I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. But I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. <laughs> Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. So wonderful. <laughs> and Chris Walken isn't laughing because guess what? He's not looking at anybody but the cue cards <laughs> at all. He's in a separate shot looking away from everything that's happening. And he makes the sketch the fucking best. And I don't remember if 
I, does Blue Oyster Cult still play on the radio? The cowbell isn't that annoying. This is such a wonderfully weird sketch to make. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's one of those things you never noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You listen to it now, and now, you, oh, you hear that cowbell. And one thing you might not notice when you see the sketch played on television, they have fake film grain on it because it is supposed to be presented by the then-contemporary show VH1 Behind the Music as if they found footage right. of the show. So to this day, the sketch has like weird, like a, a weird uh, color layer and film grain added to it. Uh, strange. You didn't need that at all. Uh, <laughs> that's SNL, and we make a bunch of stupid sketches too uh, on the Laser Time Network. Uh, April 9th, Fail Safe, a TV movie starring Richard Dreyfus, Noah Wiley, Brian Dennehy, Sam Elliott, James Cromwell, Hank Azaria, Don Cheadle, George Clooney, and Harvey Keitel. What? Why is there a TV it's movie a with George Clooney? Yeah. Sausage Party. <laughs> It is. Well, because it is a remake of the movie Friends uh, 64 that is uh, also just a bunch of dudes because it's it's the serious Doctor Strange love. How about that? Hmm. It's basically exactly that where um, there's there's kind of a miscommunication and some American bombers are about to go drop some bombs on Russia and we keep trying to call them back and they can't. And it's all about like the president and all the folks in the war room trying to figure out what the hell to do. And this one was done live on television. Ooh. And it was directed by last week's champion of the week, Stephen Frears, who directed High Fidelity. Wow, oh. really? Yep. How do they even Crazy. run a promo for this then? Here's the well, rehearsal I, footage. Yeah, no, I have a promo for the DVD because they put it out on oh. DVD. On television, it it was introduced by Walter Cronkite. It's fucking nuts. Because these are, they're, I mean, it doesn't look like 50s live television, like, they used to do, you know, Playhouse 90 or something. It's like there's big sets, something like 22 cameras mm-hmm. and having to keep out of everyone's shot. And I mean, it's it's really impressive. I know. And it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's an okay version of Failsafe. I mean, I prefer the mm. old movie, but I'm a dick that way. But it's still bizarre. <laughs> I've never heard of this. This does seem like one of the more elaborate live productions. But it's I, very elaborate. I guess I don't know how much we'll be talking in 10 years about the live all in the family <laughs> thing. The thing. Those things that are happening now that none of us are yeah. talking about. Where's that group of planes up there headed for Russia? Give me the president. 30 million people were witness to a live television event. Do we know what the hell happened? Group 6 is continuing on an attack course. Send out the code, we're going down below the radar. Let's talk to Moscow. That took them to the heart of their deepest fears. I have warned you, but if Soviet airspace is invaded, then we will come to a full alert. This is not part of a plan to provoke war. They want to strike back at once. That's great, because this does look weirdly low budget if you don't know it is shot live. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, but, it, that's cra- but in terms of something that's shot live in black and white, <laughs> it looks yeah. crazy. It Fuck looks me. really good. Yeah. And yeah, it's got a cast you would die for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's pretty well done. I mean, it's it's tense and it's all about like the trade-offs of I mean, in the end it basically comes down to, well, we got the Russians on the line and we're saying, look, we we're trying to stop these guys from bombing you. We're really really sorry. What can we do to make it up to you? Huh? Like what what's fair if we apologize really hard for blowing up some of your cities? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do we live with ourselves? Wow. Or do they ever even believe us? They just say, oh, fuck you. You clearly started this. We mm-hmm. Now it's time for the mutual assured destruction. Yay. Yeah, it turns out yeah. most nations aren't real excited about going to war. And I think our current president has shown you really have to keep keep provoking them in addition mm-hmm. to acts of war. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And, it's uh, pretty good. Both versions. Pretty good. That aired up against, and I, I feel like I might have said this a thousand times, but like 
really, this is kind of one of the best episodes of The Sopranos ever, if not the best. Yeah. The season two finale, Funhouse. It it has an indelible image, that's for sure. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It contains, uh, just for having more fart noises than the entire rest of the series combined. It's (laughs) so, it's such a wild episode because it's very serious and some big stuff happens in it. And it's overlaid with Tony having food poisoning and just barfing and farting throughout the entire episode. (laughs) It's so, it's just genius. Like the way that they set the whole episode up to show him like kind of at his lowest and most degraded and yet still carrying out this boss duty that he has to do that everyone knows he has no choice but to do. The highlight of it is it contains scenes as a Sopranos fan you've always wanted to see. Big mm-hmm. Pussy's back, but we know he's an FBI informant. Also, we want to see him fuck Dr. Melfi. He can't really do that. Yet he right. does during what is, we say it all the time, the, the best show for dream sequences outside of Twin Peaks is The of Sopranos. Course. And those scenes on the dock of just his friends being rolled by are exactly how my dreams operate. Yes, I know a friend is there and then someone pulls them off stage. And yes. <laughs> it, that, it, and there's like a weird sound going on in the background yes. that you don't know what that sound is and you're never explained. And I mean, so the Sopra- this episode of Sopranos and they've done other, they will do other dream sequences also later on in the series and Twin Peaks are so perfect for really capturing how dreams feel. Like, yep. and how many times most of the time your dreams are kind of unsettling because things just are happening like i've you know i i dream a lot and almost every morning i wake up and i tell sam what i dreamt the night before um and i almost always remember all my dreams most of the time they're like this where they're not scary but something weird is happening and i don't know i've never seen like a television program or a movie really capture that feeling as well as Twin Peaks and The Sopranos. Yeah. I mean, even, but like yeah. there's an elaborate method. Clearly Tony is walking along the boardwalk on some kind of treadmill and being pulled mm-hmm. at a different speed as he's moving because that's how you feel in a fucking dream. Like I, mm-hmm. you, how you can't control mm-hmm. yourself physically all the time. I just love those little touches that I don't think anybody bothered to do before because it's just needlessly expensive. And, and, and right. Sopranos did it on, on the fucking boardwalk of Atlantic City. And mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. And I, I, I do go back and forth with this because this is a we lose a, a, a major, major character here mm-hmm. in terms of Big Pussy, who's been an who the audience has known has been an FBI informant since the opening of the season, practically. Or I guess, mm-hmm. sorry, somewhere in mid season, he comes back and you can just see that Tony's like pissed at him. Where'd you go? I bet you betrayed us. Like, not nah, Tony, I did in my back. Ba 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 ba. He's like, "Fuck it, I love you so much. We've known each other since we were kids. I'm happy to believe you for any excuse you make." But he eventually orders, pulls off a hit on his own based on a dream. But I think the dream here is supposed to be him being introspective of a thing he's constantly denied himself. Like pussy's absence yeah. cannot be explained by a back injury. And right. this if is I a, look more into this, this is a problem. This is a culmination of. What he has felt in his heart this whole and known really the whole time, I think. And just didn't want to know, didn't want to let himself go there. And 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 this episode is the culmination of that. And he does find evidence, you know, 
Um, no, this the the dream, the introspection, and the dream cause him to look for more evidence to this thing. He's mm-hmm. clearly been avoiding because of how much he loves this man. I like to call this clip "Pussy Fish." <laughs> I just seen some criticisms like, really, Tony based a hit around like uh, uh, talking to his friend as a fish in a dream who's sitting on mm-hmm. ice on the boardwalk. Like, no, it's not exactly that. But in terms of how like I would have a conversation in a dream, or maybe realize something about a friend I wouldn't normally think of. This is how you do that in a dream. Uh, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. this sequence. How's it going? You didn't get sick? Nah. How much you weigh? Eight pounds. <laughs> Lost a lot of weight. Swimming. The best exercise. Works every muscle group. Get the fuck out of here. You you never exercise once in your life. Anyway, four dollars a pound. You know I've been working with the government, right, Tom? Don't say it. Come on, Tom. Sooner or later, you gotta face facts. I don't wanna hear it. Well, you're gonna hear it. Fuck. You passed me over for promotion, Tom. You know. How much shit you give him? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Uh, well, am a I. It's a talking face. It's- yeah, like kind of like a Billy Big Mouth bass. <laughs> yep. Not a Mr. Olympic, which I watched last night. It was wonderful. <laughs> my therapist always says that everyone in your dream is you. Yes. And that is especially interesting to watch then this episode with that in mind, thinking mm. of it in that way. Um, and yeah, I also love that this episode really shows too that Tony really – he is the boss because he really does have a high level of emotional intelligence and he has the instincts that you need to be an effective boss and a good manager in a lot of ways. He knows what motivates people and he's usually able to get in there and keep people going for it. I mean, the episode kind of opens with him buying Carm this like beautiful fur mink coat at a time where she is like really pissed at him. And then he buys her this coat and, you know, it kind of brings her back into his fold. And then, you know, he gives Christopher a promotion, like right when he needs it, right when Christopher, we've seen him struggle so much throughout this entire season. It's like right when he needs that to happen. And so he really does know what he's doing Mm -hmm. and, and following his intuition about big pussy is, part of that and i think it it just shows what an effective boss he is if only he got into not the murder business <laughs> it's, it's a truly heartbreaking sequence too like just mm-hmm. all of his friends take their one friend down on a boat and then it yeah. all goes sort of bad but I, I won't i don't know i don't, I don't even want to get, get elaborate in that scene i want to save some stuff for people who may be viewing it for the first time because this is one of the best shows on television this is one of the best mm-hmm. episodes oh, yeah. of that show I, I know yeah. Entertainment Weekly had this tied with Pine Barrens as the best episode. Yeah. And, Ooh, uh, tough well, call. Mm-hmm. And this is very sad because this is the season finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we won't be able to talk about Sopranos for a little bit, Not unfortunately. Little bit. But this is also the period where like everyone got to be in other shit in commercials. So there'll be a ton of co- Sopranos cast members doing other stuff That's in between true. a very, very long season break. Speaking of long breaks, or why not just plugs for the network? Uh, Sick of Star Wars, question mark. Uh, that's a new show we have on the network. And one of the things we're going to talk about eventually is how the games can kind of get you through Star Wars when uh, things are bad. And look no further than 2000, Star Wars Episode One Racer comes out, which was mm. the 
only undeniably good Star Wars thing to come out during this period <laughs> of Phantom Menace. Uh, it is a undeniably great game from what was undeniably the one of the better things from Phantom Menace. The pod racing scene, it's a whole game based on that in a bunch of different locations, given that the film is established. This is a thing the universe does. And you get to customize and play in all these different areas of Star Wars. It was really fun. And I don't remember a Star Wars game making this kind of impact in that it debuts this week on Dreamcast, but it it's a huge uh, first-party seller bundle uh, bundle for N64. It has an arcade game. Uh, it's on other platforms. It's Switch just announced in a big Nintendo conference. It's getting a remaster uh, like just the other day, 20 years later. Star Wars Episode One Racer. We'll talk more in depth about that on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. We'll have a new episode about all the games from last month this week. Please check that out. And we'll take you out with There You Go by Pink because her album debuted this week 20 years ago. Uh, stay right there, everyone, because we'll be right back with more 302010 in the year of 2010. ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we look even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of april 3rd through 9th i'm gonna fudge the dates a teeny tiny bit because there's not a lot else to talk about um just about every year that i check except for 1980 which is now 40 years ago because i want to talk about the long good friday the movie that kind of made bob hoskins like a notable guy because like he doesn't look like a movie star that's for sure but a long good friday from 1980 actually technically 1979 actually kind of came out in 81 it's all over the place they had distribution problems um but it's produced by handmade films which is george harrison gave us this movie thanks dude uh, so, anyway, Long Good Friday starts uh, Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren. In his film debut as, like, Irish guy number two, Pierce Brosnan, it's a gangster picture that's about all kinds of intersecting stuff. We got British gangsters, we got American gangsters, we got the IRA, we got people supporting the IRA. Everybody's double-crossing everyone else. No one knows who's up to what. There's all kinds of, you know, the property development, the docklands, and the police are in on some stuff, and yeah, what is the IRA doing with guns versus what is the IRA doing politically? And it's just, it's a fun movie. It moves at a good clip. Uh, the British Film Institute called it the 21st best British film in the world. Yay. I think that's pretty good. I think that's it is a very British thriller, but real solid. Lots of interesting characters. Incredibly grimy late 70s London Docklands. And all kinds of, you know, intersecting problems that, you know, you see in gangster movies. But... Upped a little bit because it's during the troubles. So that's my recommend for this week. Long Good Friday from 1980. And that's it. Stay classic.
Coming in with Telephone by Lady Gaga featuring Beyonce. It's on the charts this week. Really, is the Lady Gaga Beyonce song on the charts? This almost feels like cheating. This is, but it never makes it to number one. That's crazy. That's what's, what's really surprising, but it's, that video, oof, yes. lesbian crime drama. It's fantastic. Mm. They hop in the pussy wagon and go mm-hmm. murder Tyrese Gibson together, and they change clothes like a thousand times. It's At one point, Gaga's real... wearing glasses that are made out of lit cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the hell? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm in. You got me. Love it. I love uh, it. That is two th- that, a stark difference from 2000, in my opinion. Uh, Santana to this. Um, <laughs> and, and for the better, by the way. Also new releases this week, Vagabonds by Classic Crime. Uh, I Learned the Hard Way by Sharon Jones of the Dap Kings. Leave Your Sleep by Natalie Merchant, The Defamation of Strickland Banks by Plan B, and Here Lies Love, a collaboration between David Byrne and Fatboy Slim about Imelda Mac- Marcos? That's a person yeah. who Diana probably knows. Yeah. But you know who Imelda Marcos is. Come on. I she know I do. She shoes because she was the first lady of the Philippines. That's right. She had a bunch of shoes, and this album's pretty good. Okay. I just yeah. wanted the listeners to know who... I Mel Marcos was. I knew the whole time. I love this character. Mm-hmm. Rude Boy Rodriguez is still number one. Oh, this is fun. A little bit of news to bring you into 2010, April 3rd through the 9th. Uh, Tiger Woods returns to golf after a five month hiatus after the infidelity scandal, including rehab for sex addiction. Mm. Uh, we love a redemption story. We really do. And sex addiction, really, it's the biggest problem in sports. It makes all our athletes too good. <laughs> and- Truly. <laughs> uh, yeah, sex addiction for Tiger Woods. That's 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 hilarious. <laughs> it was it was one big affair, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't. There's a lot of them. It was a bunch, but it's one of those like, can you really call it sex addiction? With I mean, it's like, can you call it an eating addiction if people are just constantly throwing chocolate at you and you just are eating it because they're throwing chocolate at you and chocolate is delicious it's true it's true and uh i also want to i wish i could put up an instant poll like how old do you think golf groupies are Uh, i'm i'm gonna ballpark it at 39 (laughs) they're appropriate age and i appreciate that yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure they're not young fine he got with Lindsay vaughn i don't think they're still together but he's fine uh, he lost his uh, Tiger Woods uh, video game franchise. I still think that's strange. That's so dumb. That it was uh, what he did was so bad, you can't have Tiger Woods PGA Tour. It's just PGA Tour now. Speaking of tragedies, Class of the Titans is still number one at the box office <laughs> after, after <laughs> last week. Uh, but we have some new movies out. We have multiple sarcasms with Mira Sorvino and Timothy Hutton. Mm. Yeah, someone who's been me too. I'm just mad that they stole the name of my autobiography for this. <laughs> I actually watched a little bit of this, and it's really? dreadful. That's uh, a bummer. It's not good. I've never heard of it. Uh, I yeah, do. I Why do I remember this movie? Maybe because I was living in San Francisco near the location, yeah. La Mission, mm-hmm. uh, with Benjamin Bratt, Eric Alexander, Jeremy Ray Valdez, Jesse uh, Borrego, and Talisa Soto. Um, is it a, it's a story about the set in the mission? Yeah, it's okay. set in San Francisco's Mission District, mm-hmm. which is the rapidly gentrifying but Latino neighborhood uh, in San Francisco. And it's written and directed by Benjamin Bratt's brother, oh, which is usually like, oh. But other reviews were sort of like, well, it's a bit shallow, but, you know, as a portrait of a family in a neighborhood, it's pretty good. Yeah, the neighborhood, like, like, we personally got to watch change and mostly the worst 
I mean, yeah. I, I do like the Alamo Draft House, but it took over an old theater that was just a parking garage. Everything else taking over there, like, that is a lot to spend for hot dogs. I'm glad this taqueria doesn't exist anymore. Thank you. Yeah. There's um, so many places where it's like, there's good local taquerias, mm-hmm. you know, that's like someone's family opened this taqueria, and it'll be right next to some place that has just, I don't know, fusion food with sushi or whatever, and they have the same sign and the exact yeah. same font as, like, every mm-hmm. hipster crap, and you're like, why would you want this if I, you can have the real thing next door because we did our market mm-hmm. research and more than they wanted local color they wanted a 35 dollars mac and cheese named after kanye lyrics that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they wanted also out this week afterlife is there a real dot in there there is a real dot in there after which is dot confusing because there's other cool. things called afterlife one word or two words mm, mm-hmm. but i bet they don't have christina ricci liam neeson justin long josh charles and the chandler canterbury at least not charles chandler canterbury funeral home. You're dead. I'm not dead. You were in a car accident. I'm looking for Anna Taylor. She didn't come in today. What is she? Did she come sick? She didn't call in at all. What happened? Where, where is Anna? You took her away from me. What? I don't want you anywhere near her. I, 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 I've never heard of this, and I think this is a fan trailer. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, I hadn't heard of it either, but it's, and every review is pretty much, what a great idea, why isn't it executed better? <laughs> oh. Christina Ricci dies in a car accident, but Liam Neeson, bringing back the theme from the first power, seems to be able to, like, bring people back. He's a mortician who brings people back. For his own nefarious purposes. So she's sort of like trapped there and trying to get to her boyfriend, Justin Long, to let him know, like, I'm kind of not really dead, but kind of mm. am. And it's thrillery. Ooh. And a movie. I, I, yeah. I wanted to see this next movie so bad. I cannot believe I've let something stay in my backlog for 10 years. Oh, man. <laughs> Look at this cast. Will I Am, William Fickner, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Mila Kunis, Ray Liotta, Kristen Wiig, Taraji P. Henson, Common, Leighton Ma- Meester, uh, James Franco, Mark Wahlberg, Tina Fey, and Steve Carell in Date Night. Isn't it Date Night? Of course. Yay, yay. The Fosters were in need of some excitement, and tonight... Get up now. Honey? Get up. No. <laughs> They're going to get it. This is just a misunderstanding. No, he turned it sideways. Kill shot. It's a kill shot. On April 9th. They're going to kill us. Are you breathing? It's only in. Your eyes look crazy. I know because I'm losing it. What are we going to do? The thrill is back. I think I know someone who could help. Can't believe out of hundreds of clients, you remember this one guy. Well, I've always been good with names and faces. Claire Foster. Mark Wahlberg. Shirtless. Mac. Gentlemen. This movie always makes me kind of sad. <laughs> Just, this movie's a delight. Is it? Yes. Well, just the marketing of it looked look looked really. It's just that like Tina Fey and Steve Carell are so talented, but they can't write everything they're in, and I bet they like money. And these this is what they're being offered of just a generic Hollywood comedy. But if you're telling me it's better, I like I I've been Game Night for instance surprised the shitter to me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Game Night's Game great. Night so much fun. Yes. Yeah. This could be better. It's just it's sort of like it's okay. For me, like so many of the reviews were like not very good, and I was like, I know it's okay. It's not as great as I was expecting or really hoping Mm -hmm. for with these many, this many talented people in it. 
but mm-hmm. it is fun. Mm. It is fun. I, I I think it's a delight. I think that it is never going to live up to its expectations, especially in 2010 with right. Steve Carell and Tina Fey the at the Rock, peak of their powers. 30 Rock I and mean, The Office are still on the air. I don't remember the movie where, where Jennifer Aniston and Jerry Seinfeld were a married couple. Right. <laughs> it was just almost, in a way, doomed by people's expectations. I think I saw it in the theater when it came out, and mm. I remember thinking like, oh, okay, that was fine. But then I revisited it this weekend, and I found it to be incredibly delightful. Just everybody's having a good time, it seems like, and mm-hmm. there are, are maybe a couple too many parts where they just – you could tell like they're doing that thing where it's just like, all right, do a bunch of takes with like different funny things that you say, you know? And it's just like, there may be one or two of those that it just goes a little too far. But I mean, there were definitely parts that I laughed out loud at um, with these two, you know, playing off of each other. I think also in 2010, for me personally, I was a little – Steve Carell and Tina fade out. Um, but now that we haven't seen them as much, I mean, Steve Carell has been making some interesting choices, yes. but unwatchable um, Oscar bait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, they haven't been as in our face recently. Um, I, I, I found it to be better than I remembered. Hmm. Cool. I, awesome. I, okay. I, yeah, I haven't revisited. I've, finally saw this about four years ago mm. so somewhere in between revisiting and seeing it originally and it was sort of like yeah it's fun it's it's not like i need to shake everyone and say you have to watch this oh my right. god <laughs> i still like yeah that's it's a lot of fun you can sit and just pick it up it's kind of thing like if it were running on tnt yeah i'd watch that but I, I mean it's i think fun. it's a perfect date night movie honestly like especially if you because i'm also at a different place in my life than i was 10 years ago and i am married and i do have a family and And someday you may have um, a date night again (laughs) and someday i may what have a date night again we'll see yes Mm. i might leave my house at some point but honestly this is my quarantine recommend because Mm. it is about a couple a married couple where everything's become kind of routine for them they're kind of bored and they get into a wacky misadventure all over you know new york and they really love each other it's about their marriage it's about their adventures together it is if you have like a long term partner that you're quarantined with this might actually be a really great little watch date night in house date night for you guys to watch together take hmm. your pants off pop some popcorn see what happens <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean are, what am i what am i saying you're quarantined nobody's wearing pants like <laughs> i'm wearing shorts that i think Ooh. Disconcertingly, smell too much like a, whatever the mixture is of my balls and ass from sitting in a leather chair for three days with nowhere to go. Oh my. Mm. That is Sorry, excuse evocative. me. Pleather chair. Pleather. It's even worse. It's even, that is evocative. Sorry, people. I'm just getting a little bitter. <laughs> look, we're, look, everyone's bound to go through cabin fever during all, all this. What if I did it on the air? Why not? <laughs> Why? Why not? A little bit of space madness for, for the people. <laughs> uh, moving the television to 2010 NCAA March Madness Duke beats Butler Man, Butler's uh. just a guy Duke's a whole college That doesn't seem fair at all 
Duke sucks. Duke sucks. And then on April 5th, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated uh, debuts. I didn't know how... F- I just thought we got a new Scooby-Doo series every two years. That has not it been the case. Like. It seems like it because it's never stopped airing in some version or another. And it has a, it's had a ton of made-for-TV movies that look exactly ah. like the old cartoon. But in terms of real deal Scooby-Doo cartoons. This is only two seasons, 52 episodes on Cartoon Network. Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, a back-to-basics version of Scooby-Doo. It, it was like it was like almost a decade between this and Be Cool Scooby-Doo. I'm not the biggest Scooby-Doo fan. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking about that upstairs where, in regards with uh, Star Wars fans, every time I would meet an older Scooby-Doo fan, I'm like, I like the ones with Scrappy-Doo. Scrappy ruined the whole thing! I'm like, I didn't know that. I'm a little kid, and I don't like this show unless Scrappy's there. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and so Scooby-Doo, I don't totally understand, but uh, but I can see why the formula still works. Kids solving mysteries, pretty dope. Um, mm. But the limited animation and laugh track and that nothing ever happens and that it's poorly written, that never sat well for me. But that, that constantly changes, I'm told. And the new comic and the new show I hear are very, very good. And this, this got pretty decent reviews as well. Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. It premiered the same night as a... I'd like to think of this. This is like a sea, maybe a kind of a sea change for Cartoon Network. Uh, Matt did an episode about uh, of Laser Time about like all the things that animators stem from, and it might have been the previous Cartoon Network generation. But I think something changed the moment this show hit the air. Adventure time! Come on, grab your friends. We'll go to very distant lands. Adventure Time is now Adventure 10 years time. old. Technically, but like its roots are a Frederator Nickelodeon pilot that was that was done 4 years ago that aired on Nickelodeon several times and Nickelodeon had zero interest in the show Adventure Time and then eventually I remember in like 08 I see Pendleton Ward's Weirdo Pilot for Adventure Time and I'm like this is great and the internet's like this is great and then th- 2 years later it it comes on Cartoon Network and it is a phenomenal show. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I was there from the beginning. I loved having – this is right at the beginning of me talking to other animation fans on podcasts and the internet and like, oh, new animation sucks. And I could always say, fuck off Adventure Time. Adventure Time is fantastic. This, this, It's hard to say the story of what? Kind of a dog and a kid <laughs> just getting into trouble. <laughs> yeah, in like a fantasy world, which Land actually is you. probably us – past the apocalypse it very much is and that that was layered in there from the from almost the very beginning almost the very very beginning that it is it is what happens after the mushroom war after the after humanity itself blows itself up that's where adventure time starts but it's more that like and i can't i'm not i I hate trying to sound like an adventure time expert because every time someone asks me about an episode i have to say i i have i have only watched this high I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's one of the few, sh- I have no other show I can say that with, but for me, Adventure Time and Marijuana, something I don't really like, mix in very well together. I love the shit at Adventure Time when I'm high. And, and the, <laughs> the things that came from Adventure Time led to a Cartoon Network that I, as an adult, can tune into almost every day. Almost everyone who worked at Adventure Time got to make shows like Steven Universe and OK, uh, um, not OK, <laughs> OK KO, not OK Go, uh, OK KO. <laughs> Everything on Cartoon Network now is really, really fun. And like we just, what did we just talk about with like uh, uh, the new movies in the 90s? Oh, shit. Just that like Scooby-Doo and then Adventure Time. Cartoon Network would become more like Adventure (laughs) Time than it would like Scooby-Doo, which is what it had been for like 20 years. And Mm -hmm. Adventure Time completely changed Cartoon Network. You get a bunch of 
incredibly writer-driven cartoons, creator-driven cartoons that come on the network. Uh, despite Cartoon Network kind of always encouraging that, you still had to make room for like whatever horseshit Warner Corporate was going to force on you. I, and I, I say that liking a couple of the Looney Tunes shows, but yeah, taking Cartoon Network is the one of the best channels taking new chances on things, I think, because of Adventure Time. It seems mm-hmm. like if you can remember a time when all Cartoon Network wanted to show you was Scooby-Doo and then watch the Adventure Time pilot, which is deliberately weird and surreal, that's neat. As we move on, that's what it was when Twin Peaks is going up against a Bob Hope special. Ah, <laughs> yes. So we're mm-hmm. it's Scooby-Doo going mm-hmm. up against Adventure Time. It's hard to think of them having the same parents, but they do. And yeah, the, I think uh, Adventure Time t- changed everything for the better. I am not cut up. It has a through line. It has a story. And I yeah. don't think it's enough to make me subscribe to HBO Max to see those uh, new movies. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, the, bar- the through line has been kind of my problem is that, like, I, I did drop out of watching this a little bit. And then when I saw, oh, no, it's the last episode I watched. I'm like, OK, there's a lot I don't understand yes. because it's it's very it, it gets confusing. There's like a lot of different relationships that go back and all these different characters doing stuff. And they because it's so fantastical, they have like different abilities or powers or weird shit that's just happening and you're always supposed to just go like yeah okay obviously jake the dog can just stretch his legs out and be like 100 feet tall sure but i think the way pendleton ward starts from the beginning he described it as like the world ends but instead of ending up in mad max territory where we're all our meat are bought and sold for gas uh magic returns to the world as does nature and they Mm -hmm. infuse one another and you have a whole land of canned it's just neat I really, really like Adventure Time, yeah. and it's perfect for me. Princess Bubblegum and Lumpy Space Princess. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he uh, has so many weird characters. It's like Bimo. I don't know what the hell Bimo is. is he, he's like a Game Boy, I guess. I don't know. It's like a Korean Game Boy. And then yeah, there's uh, and Lady Rainicorn mm-hmm. who speaks also speaks Korean, and Marceline the Vampire Queen, and the Ice King who's one of the most sympathetic bad guys ever. <laughs> it's, it's a, like, even before you know his backstory, you're like, oh, you poor schmuck. It's weird because I have you're that problem so when I, wa- I want to introduce Steven Universe to people. And by people, I mean a lot of adults because like it's just this silly, let's go here and touch stuff and make comedy jokes. It's perfect for that. You can totally see why a kid would love it. The stuff that adults grab onto, the lore and the, the backstory of the characters, that doesn't happen as often. So it is... I think it is a little more difficult to get through as an adult who wants mm. who wants a coherent story to grab onto. But like, uh, it happens faster in Steven Universe. But like, dude, get high, enjoy the ride. You have plenty mm-hmm. of time. Adventure time. It's on Hulu. Eat it up. Eat it with yeah. your eyes was, and ears. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine's kid a couple of years ago when he was about eleven, and he had a fin hat, and he said some other kid made fun of him, like, "You watch cartoons." I'm like, God, I hated those times. And little kids were like, you like little kid stuff? And I was like, dude, like, I'm in my 30s. All my friends are in my 30s, in their 30s. They don't have kids. They all watch Adventure Time. I don't know kids who watch Adventure Time. I only know Mm grownups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I cemented that when I finally got... You're way more grown up than that kid who's being a dick. I was was like, I'll buy Adventure Time on DVD. It, like, never came to DVD because kids don't buy DVDs. And then when I finally get Cable or Sling... They never showed Adventure Time on Cartoon Network. I never knew what that was about. Like it was, it was on at like one hour, and that was it. Whereas I could watch Teen Titans Go and We Bear Bears in sixteen-hour marathon chunks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what was behind that decision. Cartoon Network still weirds me the fuck out. 
but I think at, at their core, they need to be a kid's channel. And if kids aren't watching it, I don't know. But I, 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 I know a ton of kids that love this show. And for me, most of my Comic-Con experiences are defined by Adventure Time cosplay. It's not Comic-Con without Adventure Time cosplay. Aww. Yeah, whether it's Fiona and Cake or Jake and Finn, like tons of tons and tons and tons of Adventure Time cosplay. Love Adventure Time. Let us know what you think about it in the comments because it's time to talk about the games. And I, this is like the least exciting week in 2010 for games ever. A DSiWare hmm. game for a series I love, Mr. Driller. Uh, drill till you drop in a game I've never heard of. Uh, Lead and Gold, Gangs of the Wild West for either iOS or PC. Hmm. Either way, I probably don't have a lot of love for it. But you can. But we will go way more in depth on those with multiple people with a combined, I would say, forty years experience in the games industry on Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. That's what brought to you this show. Fans like Superfancom. Uh, he's one of our executive producers. But you can get all our other exclusive shows like the Game Show, Sick of Star Wars, Elm Street Nightmare, Bonus Time, where we have our coronavirus spectacular, including a very, very lengthy look at the effect on the entertainment industry this has had, which is which is massive and going to ripple out. For the next 20 years, I believe. Up to and including maybe the death of public venues. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But like, I, I don't... Things were already hard on those people. I don't see how it gets easier at all. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> didn't mean to bring everyone down. And you can find <laughs> out more at lasertimepodcast.com. Please listen to Laser Time. Uh, we got a bunch of fun stuff for you uh, over there, including some freebies. And Sick of Star Wars, we started out this week. Which, again, is a question. Are we sick of Star Wars? I say I am. Adam and Jeremy say they're not. And we're looking at going chronologically through the film sagas. The first episode has to delve into the 16 years without a Star Wars. And when George Lucas became serious about making Phantom Menace and how long that took him to do. It is Mm -hmm. longer and weirder than any other movie production pipeline you have ever seen in your entire life. Uh, I, I, I can't think of anybody who was in a position like he was where he independently owned everything and nothing could move without him. And he made it and he made sure everyone knew that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to direct and write and direct all these. But you didn't do that with any of the other ones. <laughs> Not the ones we liked. Uh, but anyway, like uh, I'm looking forward to that series. I just want to read our, it. We just posted about it on our Facebook group. I'm like, I don't like negativity about Star Wars. And like, it's not about negativity about Star Wars. It's like, it's more of an adult exploration. Like, am I over this? I don't care about this as much as the fan seems to. And I think that's seeped into the series. And I don't care about this anymore. And Star Trek is still fun. So I'm going to go over there. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Because I just finished it Picard. It is so fun. And it is wonderful. It's so good. Then, But then you have Mandalorian and Jedi uh, Fallen Order. And like, these are excellent. This is an excellent reference. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Di, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Oh. And uh, right. once again, the biggest plug, Ernest Goes to Jail Commentary, patreon.com. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, Should with we that, get to deaths and birthday quiz? Now, yes, yeah. we'll close the show with the deaths and the birthday quiz. Who died during this week, Dee? Uh, well, in 1990, we lost Sarah Vaughn. She was only 66. She is an amazing singer amazing i mean technically jazz i guess you'd call it but also i mean soul and blues and yeah she was gone way too soon and in 2000 we lost claire trevor who was 90 she's a classic film actress back in like key largo and she is billing above john wayne in stagecoach just i love shit like that because he wasn't a star yet and then in 2010 we lost malcolm mclaren who's 64 i really thought he was older than that Mm. Uh, he's the guy who kind of helped give us punk he was also a piece of shit, but he gave us the Sex Pistols and the New York Dolls. So, ah, uh, then he took all their money. 
He was a piece of shit. But mm. Sex Pistols. Yeah. Are you ready for birthday quiz? Ba, 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 birthday yeah. quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. I love it when I find someone who was born during the show. Born April 9th, 1990. So turning 30, both her parents were in the business, except dad is a stage manager and mom is a script supervisor. Okay. So technically in the business. In 2010, she was the highest earning actress and the Stonette of the Year by High Times Magazine. What the fuck? (laughs) Miley Cyrus? No, good guess though. Hmm. Um, she's also the first American actress to win a French César award. Um, I don't think people know. Tasha Leone. No. <laughs> no. So she will make one of her first film appearances. We're going to talk about in a couple of weeks in Flintstones in Viva Las Vegas. Oh my God! Sorry, Viva Rock Vegas. Rock Vegas. But hmm. well, we've also talked about movies she's in, like The Cake Eaters, Jumper, and What Just Happened. Fuck me. Oh, I'm so close on this. Motherfucker. Ah, uh, yeah. How about Yellow Handkerchief or Into the Wild? Ah, ah, ah. Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart. Fuck Kristen you. Kristen Stewart. And also Adventureland and the Twilight movies and the Runaways, which she's so fucking good in. Damn, she's really? So good. So, yep. Happy 30th birthday, Kristen Stewart. You're cool. You are cool. She's very cool. I love her so much. Gonna see Charlie's Angels soon, I swear. It's never been easier. It's, it's great. I loved it. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of things people love. I'm going to guess one of you loves En Vogue, because that's what we're closing out with. With Hold on. I, I love En Vogue. They're, mm-hmm. oh, come on. Their harmonies are so good. No, I, yeah, I love Never Gonna Get love It. love En Vogue? Uh, well, it's not really a thing a boy can walk around the house listening to and feel comfortable with himself. Look, look, I'm, my way is that. dying. My <laughs> way is dying. Uh, <laughs> it just, yeah, I had a ton of En Vogue albums, but uh, they clearly mean a lot more to ladies for a good reason. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. A lot of their songs are very like empowering about like mm-hmm. don't put up with some guy who's running around on you. And, yeah, praising what a man he is. They are not as anthemic to me, um, <laughs> oh. but yes, fine, fine. So I'm just asking you to explain the importance of En Vogue so I don't have to. Please. All right, that's fair. Uh, but we will close out with that. Hold on, we will be back next week. I love you guys. Stay safe. Bye. Don't waste your time.